0: You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at Christwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. What's up, Christ Walk? How's everybody doing today? Happy Father's Day. A couple people, a couple people, okay, some of, some of you are tracking with me, all right, happy Father's Day, yeah, in case you're, you're not aware, that was, that was uh, Chris Moore, he's our worship and creative director, and today is his very first Father's Day, um, his son Graham is four weeks old and is in the house with us, and we are just pumped about that, and um, we're excited about all of the dads. That are here today and everything that we get to celebrate along with them um, with popcorn and soda pop and some of y'all get that on the drive home and um, but yeah it's been a good day and I am excited about closing out our series this morning if you got your Bible you got a smart device um, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me too. Um, the the, the uh, New Testament to the book of First Peter, um, so go all the way to Revelation and then just back up a few uh, a few books, and we're going to land momentarily in First Peter uh, chapter three. Um, we're going to be there together. So uh, my daughter Avery, who um, who is is twelve, uh, she recently spent a week away at her grandparents' house. And so it was just, it was me and, and Sarah and, um, and then Luke and then our dog, Millie, at home. And for that week, it was very quiet at our house <laughs> with Avery gone, very, very quiet. She is our talker, our social butterfly. She's all over the place. Luke kind of keeps to himself and everything, and so it was, um, it was a pretty low-key week, and then um, the day uh, I went to pick her up last Sunday after church and um, got her home, and within 15 minutes of her being home, she and her brother were already arguing, <laughs> like screaming at each other at the top of their lungs. She's been gone for a week. She comes home. They're already arguing. Um, we, we just recently took a quick road trip. We went to one of the camp meeting services for uh, the Church of God down in um, the thriving metropolis of Waimama, Florida. Um, yeah, you don't know where that is, and neither do the people that live there. Um, but, but we took this road trip, and, and the, the kids are in the back of the truck, and no doubt Um, They're 15 and 12, and they still haven't figured out how to just make that armrest in the middle be Switzerland. You know, that's our neutral territory. You know, Uh, she's touching me. He's on my side. You know, are we there yet? Come on, like for real. Um, a, A father's wish is simply for his kids to just get along. Avery asked me last night, she said, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? I said, for you to behave and be nice to your brother, that's what I want. That's it. That's it. I don't need anything fancy. Can't you just get along? And I believe that that's true in the church today as well. I think that that's what our Heavenly Father wants more than anything. I think that he looks at the world. He's looking at the church today, and more than anything, he just wants his kids to just get along, get in line, get together, and start to move forward in the same direction. I think that's what he wants more than anything. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today as we are in part eight of our series called DNA where we've been taking a look at the core values of Christ Walk Church. And I believe that it's important for us to talk about these core values so that we can be on the same page together in regard to the kind of culture that we are trying to create here Christ's walk and then also so that you all will understand the expectations that are being placed on the people that call this church home and so over the past several weeks we've talked about our core values that Jesus is our message that people are our mission that honor is our calling that authenticity is our lifestyle that generosity is our identity that servanthood is our posture, and that excellence is our pursuit. And today, I can't think of a better way to wrap this series up on Father's Day than to talk about our core value, number eight, that God's heart is our passion. God's heart is our passion. And if you missed any of those previous messages or you'd like a refresher or you wanna share them with someone else so that they can hear about what God is doing here at Christ Walk Church, you can always find those on our YouTube channel or on our podcast. We would love for you to go back and listen, share those with your friends. Um, I would definitely encourage you to check those out. Um, But today we're talking about number eight, Certainly, uh, it's last, but certainly not least. It's God's heart is our passion, and so to begin, I think we have to answer a question: If if we're going to be passionate about God's heart, then we first have to answer what is God's heart passionate about. And I believe that in order to find that out, we go all the way back towards the beginning of the Old Testament when God was beginning to establish the nation of Israel. They hadn't yet become a nation yet, but he was bringing people together and he had established a leader named Moses. Over them. And in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says It says, The Lord also said to Moses, Give the the following instructions to the entire community of Israel You must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And so I think that that when we're trying to figure out what God's heart is passionate about so that we can be passionate about those same things, I believe that it starts right there, that God's desire is for his people, for the church to be a people of holiness. We need to be holy. That that means that, that we are separated. We are set apart. We should look different, act different, think different, speak different. Everything about us should be different than the world in which we live. There should be some clear distinctives about those of us who are a part of the church and claim to follow Jesus Christ. There should be some clear distinctives between us and the rest of the world who does not. And that term holy or holiness, it, it literally means to be whole or, or to have wholeness. It's this idea of completeness. And, and there, there's this, this terminology known as the Shema. And it's actually, it's a prayer that is central to the Jewish faith. And I know that that might seem weird that I brought that up because we're not Jewish. But Jesus was. His disciples were and so this prayer the Shema that is central to the Jewish faith it would have been a prayer that that Jesus and his disciples and 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 those that were reading about in Leviticus that that they would have prayed every morning and every night and the Shema it, it comes to us from from three different passages Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 through 9 deuteronomy 11 verses 13 through 21 and then numbers 15 verses 37 through 41 so it's a it's um, an amalgamation of of those three uh passages of scripture that have been combined together into this prayer that would have been recited by jewish people in the morning and in the evening and it begins like this So how that prayer starts hear O israel the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The Lord is holy. The Lord is whole. The Lord is within himself. He is complete. God himself is united. We talk about the unity that takes place in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three are Persons of God in one, all working and operating in different ways, but all united together as one God. Unity is a part of the very essence of the fabric of his makeup and character. And the Bible tells us that the God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That his word is his bond, which means that the things that he has spoken to us in his word determines the way that he behaves towards us as our God. His behavior is determined by his word. His word is determined by his, his behavior. And in both of those things, he is completely united. He is one. He is together. And as the body of Christ, that is what he desires for his church. That we would be holy. That we would be whole. That like him, we would be one, united Together, that's God's heart for his people. Jesus actually prayed for that just before he went to the cross. A lot of us think of the Lord's Prayer as what the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. But the Lord's Prayer is actually found in John chapter 17. Um, right before Jesus is headed to the cross and he prays in the garden of Gethsemane. In John 17 verse 11, Jesus says, now I am departing from the world and they, my disciples, ultimately you and me, we are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them, my disciples, by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Skipping down to verse 20, he prays, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. He's talking about us. He says, I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. That the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you loved me. Right before he went to the cross, Jesus is praying, and he's not praying for himself. He's not praying for the things that he's about to endure. He was praying for you and me that we would be united together as one the same way that he and the Father are one so that the world would know that he was sent by God the Father. That's why we need to be one. That's why we need to be united together. Paul encouraged unity as well because it brings glory to the Father. Not only does our unity point to the fact that that Jesus was sent here by God the Father, but but it glorifies God the Father. Paul wrote about this in Romans 15 verses 5 and 6 where he says, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony or unity with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. There's an expectation there this is what it's supposed to look like it's fitting for followers of Jesus it's how it should be we should be united and he says then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God the father of our lord Jesus Christ so god's heart the thing that that brings him the most glory the thing that he desires for himself more than anything else, is an outward-facing church that is unified through holiness and focused on the mission of reaching the lost. That together we're united in holiness so that we would bring glory to the Father and we would point others in his direction, that the world would know that, he, that Jesus was sent by God the Father. That is God's heart. Because he knows that, that there's no way that the unbelieving world wants any part of a disunited church. The world outside these four walls, the, the, the unbelieving world, those that are not Christ followers, those that are not part of the faith, guess they, they've got enough infighting and drama as it is. Why in the world would they want any part of a church that isn't united in vision? and mission passionately pursuing the heart of God for their lives they won't and so we've got to be sure that, that the thing that we're, that we're offering them, the, the, the way that we're living our lives, the way that we are portraying what it means to, to be the church and, and be followers of Jesus Christ, that it's something that is appealing. It offers something different. It adds value to their life. And the only way that that is going to happen is if we establish unity in the church through holiness. That's it. That's God's heart for his people. And I do feel the need to issue a word of caution here. When we talk about this word unity, you need to understand that unity does not mean uniformity. We me be very clear about that, unity does not mean uniformity. That everything looks exactly the same and that we turn into a bunch of brainwashed robots. That's not what unity means. Unity, instead, it means cooperation in the midst of adversity. And and the primary means of adversity, the primary way in which Satan attacks us, his his method of attack in our lives is division. We see this in the animal kingdom. We see how how lions will hunt their prey. They don't jump right into the middle of the pack and take out a zebra, no. No. They get the ones on the fringes and they separate them from the rest of the herd. And then they take them down. That's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to create division. And he's not so much concerned about creating division in the world. It's divided enough. Where he wants to focus his efforts is right here in the church. And he wants to create division here so that one by one by one he can pick us off. Consider just the last 12 to 18 months that we've experienced here in Christ's walk we could lump ourselves in with most any church really in the country perhaps around the globe did Satan cause all this stuff that we walked through in the past 12 to 18 months I I don't know maybe but I do know that he certainly leveraged it to create division in the church whether he caused it or not he used it to his advantage to create division in the church. And and that division was created. And in that gap, what we've seen is we've seen an accelerated thrust from from our enemy to insert things in the church that, that are causing disunity and things that never belonged there in the first place. We are seeing an acceleration in the church of of these ideas of of woke theology and and deconstruction of the gospel. We're seeing an insertion into the church of of critical race theory that is coming to the surface. We're seeing uh, the insertion of the church in in all of this this gender stuff and the LGBTQ plus movement and agenda We're seeing an insertion in the church and and that is rapidly increasing this whole my truth movement. You know, well, well, this this is my truth. You know what? You can keep your truth. I want the truth. That's what I'm after. That's what belongs in the church. I'm not really concerned about what your truth is. I'm concerned about what the truth is, about what God's truth is, about what his word says is truth. That is the only thing that is going to unite us. All of this other stuff that claims to be the thing that's going to come in and and finally bring peace and, and finally bring unity and finally allow us to get along. It's just pushing us further and further and further apart. And we've got to recognize this is what the enemy is doing to us. This is his plan of attack. And while unity within the church, while, while this is something that is, is paramount, something that has to take place, we've got to be careful here. We've got to be careful that, that we are not uniting, we're not hitching our wagon to the wrong people or to the wrong things. The Bible talks about this. The Bible, the Bible talks about that we aren't to be unified with so-called believers who remain in or or continue living in ongoing and persistent sin that is unrepented in their life. Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17 says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. In other words, get away from them. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 verses 1 and 2, he's talking about a situation that's taking place specifically in the the Corinthian church. And he says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality that is going on among you. Something that even the pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning and sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. In other words, people that continue—they they claim to follow Jesus, but but they're in the church and and they're they're doing things that are are uh, in opposition to the principles of His word that that when they when they refuse even when they're confronted by loving people that share the gospel with them when they're when they're confronted by that 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 it should we need to make it uncomfortable in the church for people to come into the church and profess faith in Jesus but continue to live like hell it shouldn't be comfortable we should want to change our ways we we shouldn't we shouldn't be able to live that way 2 Timothy 3.5 talks about this, that in the last days, they, these so-called believers, Paul writes, will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. He says, stay away from people like that. So we need to be sure that, that we're not hitching our wagon, that we're not uniting together with people in the church, so-called believers who continue to live in unrepented sin. I'm not talking about people that struggle with sin, that slip and fall from time to time. I'm talking about people that know what they are doing is wrong and continue to do nothing about it because they won't allow the Holy Spirit to change their heart. We don't need to have association with people like that. That's not what the church is about. That's not how we move forward in unity. We also need to be careful about teachers of false doctrine. That we're not hitching our wagon to those that aren't rightly dividing the word of truth. That means that there's a responsibility on your shoulders to be sure that the things that that I'm preaching, the things that we are teaching as a church, to be sure that it checks out with God's word. That means that, that you just can't come here and take my word for it. That means that Monday through Saturday, you need to be in the word so that you'll know what it says, so that when I present the word to you or whoever is up here presents the word to you, you'll be able to say, yes, that's right, or "Mm, I'm not sure about that. That's not my responsibility, that's your responsibility. I'm going to do my due diligence to come studied up and prayed up and ready to go and deliver the best that I can, but it's your responsibility to know what the word says so that we can work together to rightly divide the word of truth, to be able to move forward in unity based on what the scriptures say. So we've got to be careful about teachers of false doctrine. Paul writes in, in, in Romans 16 verses 17 and 18, he says, And now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause division and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. He's talking about people that, that utilize God's word to leverage it for their own position and their own plan, their own power, their own agenda, the things that they want rather than submitting to the authority of God's word and moving in his direction in accordance with his plan and his authority and the thing that he wants for them and for his church. we got to be careful about people like that. We cannot tolerate sin or false doctrine within the church because... They are both agents of division, and they both misrepresent the truth of God's word and what it's all about. I love this quote from Thomas Brooks, who is a Puritan preacher. He says, Discord and division become no Christian. For wolves to worry about the lambs is no wonder. But for one lamb to worry another, this is unnatural and monstrous. We need to be sure that within the church that the lambs are all on the same page. We get it. Wolves definitely can cause some concern for the lambs. But lambs should not cause concern for each other. We've got to move forward in unity together. We've got to be sure that we're, we're staying away from the teachers of false doctrine, that we're staying away from those that claim to be Christ's followers, but yet continue to live in their sin, unrepented. So we've looked at the why and, and the what of unity, and now for the next few minutes, let's take a look at the how. Let's put some practical application on this that if we're going to move forward together in unity, how do we do it? And I believe that, that the recipe for this, one of the places in scripture that it's found is in 1 Peter 3. Hopefully you've turned there or swiped there with me. We're gonna be beginning in verse eight, reading through verse 12. It says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. This is Peter. He's writing to believers. He's writing to us those that have put our faith in Jesus Christ. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. He's saying it's, it's integral that you have unity among you. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to, and he will grant you this blessing. Verse 10, for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these down. This is three areas that we must be united. Three areas within the church. Those of us that are Christ followers, that we must be united. And and, and it's important to note here that, that these areas, you'll notice that they align closely with the fruit of the Spirit. It's important for us to know that holiness and unity is not possible without the work, without the power, without the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We cannot move forward in holiness. We cannot live lives of holiness. We cannot maintain unity within the church if if the, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is missing. So the only way that we're going to do this is is if we open our hearts, we open our lives to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so so that he can cultivate within us this fruit in order for us to develop so that we can live this way that he's calling us to. The first area that we've got to be united, according to Peter, is we've got to be united in our attitude. We've got to be united in our attitude. He says, sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. You have to have an attitude of love and, and humility and compassion, not just toward believers, but to the outside world as well. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our attitude of love, our attitude of compassion and humility towards those that are around us will prove, it will be the litmus test as to whether or not we are truly his disciples And that, yes, that should be found. That should be seen. It should be readily evident inside the church, believer to believer. We need to have this kind of attitude one towards another. But it shouldn't stop there. It should spill over outside the walls of the church into the community around us. It's the same kind of attitude that that we have believer to believer that we should have towards the lost and the broken and the hurting. Those in our community and society that find themselves ostracized or outcast. Those that we talk about, we're we're searching for people that are far from God, but they're close to us. And we're going to stop at nothing to inspire them to follow Jesus every day. That's the kind of attitude that we have. And the fruit of the spirit that this is rooted in is love is in love so my question for you is how's your attitude towards those inside the faith your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ how's your attitude towards them what about those outside the faith those that aren't believers how's your attitude towards them And really when we get down to the nitty gritty, the question would be, would would others be able to identify you as a follower of Christ by the attitude that you have and the way that you conduct yourself and your relationships with them? Is there something about you that conveys that spirit of love and humility and grace and compassion that identifies you as a follower of Christ? Christ. We've got to be united in our attitude. Number two, we've got to be united in our aptitude. In our aptitude. In verse 9, Peter says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. What's your aptitude? What are you apt to do in a situation when it arises? When when something bad happens to you when someone treats you unfairly when when someone when someone is 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 ugly toward you or or on the flip side when someone does something good to you how are you apt to repay them how are you apt to respond or to react there's there's really kind of kind of three levels here there's the there's the satanic level which is where we return evil for good We return evil for good. Good happens to us, and we repay it with evil. Hopefully nobody in the room, hopefully nobody watching online falls into that. It's not what we would want to be. We don't want to return evil for good. And then there's the, the human level where we return good for good. That's kind of easy. Like, as long as you do good to me, I'll do good to you. That's kind of how we all tend to, to operate. As long as you're treating me the way that I want to be treated, then, then it's easy for me to treat you that same way. As long as you're doing good to me, it's easy for me to do good back to you. That's the human level, but the divine level is where we return good for evil. That when you're not doing good, when you're not meeting my expectations, when you're not treating me the way that I feel like I should be treated, or the way that I deserve to be treated, where you're not even acknowledging my basic human rights. And when you've made me out to be less than I am, and and and, and you're you're pushing me to the side and, and you're not including me, and you're overlooking and ostracizing and all of these things, I'm still going to return good back. To you, that is the divine level. And I know what you might be saying, Pastor Blake. That's hard. Yeah, I get it. But Pastor Blake, you don't understand what that person has done to me. You don't know what they've said about me. You don't know the way that they've treated me. You you don't you don't even know. I, I may not, but Jesus does. As he hung on the cross, Luke twenty three verse thirty four. The Roman soldiers at his feet there, they were gambling over his clothing. They, They had just nailed him to the cross. One of the most excruciatingly torturous ways to die. He's hanging there. He's looking out over the crowd that said, Release Barabbas and take Jesus and crucify him. He's looking out over them and what does he say? He says, Forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. It's not just something that he talked about. It's something that he lived out. In a moment when no one would have blamed him otherwise, he did the unthinkable and he returned good for evil. The fruit of the spirit here is its goodness. It's patience. So which is your typical reaction or response? Do you only return good when good is extended first? Is that the, that the knee jerk? Is that the response? or Are you returning evil maybe in some areas where you've been receiving good? Or are you able to say, even though it's evil directed toward me, I'm still returning good. So what's your typical reaction or response? And, and, and if it's not at that divine level, what do you need to do in order to level up in that area? We've got to be united in our attitude. We've got to be united in our aptitude. And finally, we have to be united in our actions. We've got to be united in our actions, particularly in the midst of persecution. Those that Peter was writing to, they were experiencing persecution because of the fact that they were believers. And it's clear from our reading and understanding of the scriptures that as we approach closer to the day of the Lord's return, the church, the body of Christ is going to to be persecuted more and more and more at an even higher level. So part of this is a warning from Peter, knowing what is around the corner. The day of persecution is coming and how we act, how we behave, how Christ followers how the church conducts itself during that time will tell the tale to the world around us as to whether or not we truly belong to Jesus. And it will be the determining factor as to whether or not we are able to be united together in holiness to move forward as his church the way that he has called us. And so there's, there's a few identifying factors here in terms of our action that, that you and I, we need to keep our finger on the pulse of. In verse 10, Peter says, for the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days an identifying factor, the action, the behavior of the Christ follower that we need to be united in is that, that we should love life. We should love life. Even in the midst of persecution, we should love our life. Jesus said that his mission in this earth, in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus, came to give a life in all its fullness. That's the life that you and I have been called to live. And and we can respond to the life, we can respond to persecution in in three different ways. We can either endure it by, by accepting the burden making it a burden and just this arduous trudge through it all we can we can escape it by running from the battle we're just going to hide and hope that it passes over or we can enjoy it by recognizing that God is in control and coming to the understanding and the realization that that this world and all of its trappings and everything it's not what we were living for anyways as followers of Jesus Christ we've chosen to live for something so much more and that this world and everything that it has to offer, it is, it's dying and it is fading away. But for those of us that have placed our hope and our trust in Jesus Christ, that, that one day we are bound for glory and this world is going to cease to exist, but we are going to be with our Father in heaven forever and ever and ever. That's what we are living for. That's why we can have joy in the face of opposition and adversity and persecution. Some of you would say, Pastor Blake, I've got the joy of the Lord. Yeah, well, you need to tell your face. Because your face doesn't think you do. There is nothing worse than a Christian that, that looks like their shoes are two sizes too, too tight and that they drank a gallon of persimmon juice there's nothing worse than that. Christians should have this contagious joy about them. People should want to be around us the way that they wanted to be around Jesus because his spirit is with us. His spirit is inside of us. And that's what we need to be conveying to the world around us. There should be something different about us that that when people are around, they should go, but I want what that person has. That's the joy of the Lord. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what what joy is. It's it's contagious. People want, they can't help but get enough of that. We should be those kinds of people, even when bad stuff is happening. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how's your joy? How's your joy? Are you allowing the circumstances of your life to determine the level of your joy? Or are you allowing that to be dictated by your connection to Jesus through his Holy Spirit? How's your joy? Second, one of our actions is is that 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 Peter says that that we need to control our tongues. We need to control our tongues. In in verse 10, he says, For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. How's your tongue? Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29, he says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Is cursing coming out of your mouth? Is complaining coming out of your mouth? How's the tone of your voice? This is the one that I need to work on. This is the one that gets me in trouble. This is the one that shows that I'm not, I'm not following after the leading of the Holy Spirit as I, as I speak to my wife or as I speak to my kids or, or whatever. Not always building up and encouraging with my words. And the world is looking at us. We've got to control our tongues. The fruit of the Spirit here is is kindness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. And all of those things can be conveyed with what we choose to say and how we choose to say it. So the words that are coming out of your mouth, would the people that are hearing them say that they're an encouragement and that they're building up, that they're giving life? Or would they say that they're tearing down and destroying We've got to control our tongues. We've got to hate evil and do good. Peter says, turn away from evil and do good. We we turn our backs on it. We we hate it. Paul writes in in, in Romans uh, 12, 9, he says, Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. This is talking about sin in our lives. And and we, we shouldn't stay away from sin just because we know the Bible says it's wrong. Like that's a reason, but it's not the best reason. That shouldn't be the only reason. We need to avoid sin because because we hate it. And and we refuse to be identified with it in any way, shape, form, or fashion because we know that when sin is present, it separates us from the Father. So, it's not just because God's word says it's wrong. It's we hate it because, because it's creating distance between us and Him. And we want nothing to do with it. We want to shun the very appearance of that evil in our lives. This is faithfulness. Fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And the question is are, are you sickened by the sin that's in your life? Does it turn your stomach? Are you committed to creating as much distance between you and that sin as possible? Or are you just going through the motions hoping that no one is going to find out? Hoping that you won't get caught. Hoping that no one is going to see the real you. And lastly... Not only do we need to enjoy life, not only do we need to control our tongues, not only do we need to hate evil and do good, the, the action that we, we unite around. So we've got to seek peace. We've got to seek peace. Peter says in verse 11, search for peace and work to maintain it. The author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 14 says, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Peace, right there. It's directly linked to holiness. We got to work at it. Means we got to roll up our sleeves. There's going to be sweat. There's going to be there's going to be some some dirt involved. There, there's there's going to be some sore muscles. It's there's there's tension. It's not something that comes easy. It's something that we have to work for. At the end of the day, peace may not be possible. It may not. War may be inevitable. And and we can can read the scriptures and we know where we're headed as a people. And we know that in those last days, we know what's going to take place, that that it doesn't end up uh, peacefully at first, that a war takes place. But but here's the thing. If peace isn't possible, it's not going to be because we haven't sought after it. Peace isn't possible. It's not going to be because we haven't put the work in to try to make it happen. But we receive peace not from compromising our standards or watering down the gospel in order to achieve it, but instead by trusting in God for provision and protection. Because He alone is the one that overcomes our enemies. To seek peace. The fruit of the Spirit here is peace. So the question is, are you creating problems simply so that you can have your own way? Or are you striving for peace with those that are at odds with you? Are you working toward a peaceful solution? Are you doing everything possible to maintain that peace? got to be united in holiness as a church that's god's heart for his people we're united in our attitude and our aptitude and in our actions and the reason if i had to label a big idea one kind of takeaway that i hope that everybody would remember today is this unity is necessary Because a broken world needs a whole church. Unity is necessary. Unity is God's heart for his church because a broken world needs a whole church. And we can't be who God has called us to be and we can't accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish unless we are united together. Not compromised, not uniform. But we are united in holiness with our feet firmly planted on the foundation of God's Word, and we are moving forward together in truth, in love, in grace. That's what's going to change the world around us. This unity is going to dictate our attitudes aptitudes, our actions, the way that we choose to behave as a people that will determine how attractive we are to the world around us and the difference that we can make for the kingdom. And if you're here this morning, you're watching with us online and, and, and perhaps you're not unified as a part of the body of Christ, simply because you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But today you'd like to take that step. You'd like to become a part of the body. You'd like to to step across and, and, and get unified so that we can link arms together as believers and we can move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with his word. And that we can work together in unity to change the world. If that's you, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. We just bow our heads. If that's you, I want, I want you to pray this along with me. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. I choose to follow Jesus in his way for the rest of my life. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.